0: So we're about just past our halfway point in our our 100 days of pursuing Christ together. And so let me just let me ask you this question, how are you doing with it? Now, when I ask that question, I understand that that most of us are probably like we're, we're, we're all over the place. Some of you are, are, are probably doing phenomenal. You're, you're beginning to experience just some godliness and growth in your life. And some of you are, are struggling, and I've heard you continually talking to me at different points just to, to keep up with some of the reading. And and I'll, and I'll even shoot straight with you. I mean, the chapters in Luke, they're long. Now, some of you, and for different reasons, have decided to kind of go your own path because it, it worked best for you. And, and I get it also, there are probably some that, that, that quit because it was just way too much. So just real quickly, just before we get moving on at all, just how are you doing? Now now that we've kind of chuckled, <clears throat> maybe or felt embarrassed, before anyone kind of gets too proud because right they've, they've aced their online growth pathway or they're too deflated because the website is now mocking you on a regular basis because you've failed so many times, I wanna kind of in this moment, in this message, just kind of pull us all back on the, on the same page again. I want us to understand that the goal is not somehow that we have this perfection on our, on our pathway, because I believe that there's just something so much more at stake in these 100 days. Now, to get us there, what I wanna do is I wanna use an illustration from my past to kind of lay out what I mean by there's some more important things that we're trying to get after. I remember when I was a little kid, and probably maybe you were like this way too, you were you were drug along, right, with your parents to, to visit some of your friends. And it's, again, as a kid, it's awful. Now, I don't even remember these people's names or or why we went to their home, but I recall one thing vividly, their dog. I'm not sure how large the, the dog was because, you know, like size is kind of, it's relative when you're pretty small. All I know is, is I was 10 terrified of it. And I, I keenly remember not wanting to be left alone with it. The, sure, the, the people were nice, and they, they chose to put the dog in another room where I was there, so I appreciate it. They, they locked him in, and for me as a little kid, all was good. Now, as the adults talked about, you know, whatever, adulty things, I chose to wander in the backyard. It, it definitely wasn't like a, a kid panacea, that's for sure, but I love how when you're a little boy, right, you, you can make almost anything work to pass the boredom while adults are doing, you know, the, the grown-up things. Now, I, I'm not sure exactly when or even why it happened, but as I was playing, the dog came crashing out of nowhere, just, you know, just barking and growling at me because I was an intruder into his little kingdom. I still remember his little lips quivering as he lifted them up and he, he growled and he was showing his, and this is the way I remember, but his razor sharp, you know, canine teeth. But I do remember the hair on the back of this little dog, it stood up like a mohawk, running all the way from his neck to his tail. And I did what I think any kid would have done in the moment. I screamed and I began to run all over the backyard. Now in that moment, and it is weird, I can still remember this, I wanted the person that I truly believed could save me from this beast. I wanted my dad. So with everything that I had within me, I began to scream for him over and over, begging for my dad to come save me. Now, as I ran back and forth, it probably looked like a show from Animal Planet. I was like a a little fawn, right? Trying to escape the the vicious pursuit of the wolf. Then I noticed a large gardening box, so I, I jumped up on it. However, when I got up there, I realized I was trapped. The animal paced in front of the box, just back and forth. He knew that he had me. Now, Tears at this point were streaming down my face as I shuffled from side to side on the box. I, I feebly would kick at the canine as he as he nipped at my shoes. I was screaming for dad my dad to come. I wanted so badly to run, but there was there was no escape. I was done. Now, I'm not sure how long this ordeal lasted, but I remember the moment I saw my dad running towards me. And as he neared with a final burst of adrenaline, I leapt into his arms. I, I felt just his strong hands of his of his grip under my armpits. And then his arms just wrapped themselves around me and he, he swung away from this monster that was trying to get me. And then in a, a deep, booming dad voice, I heard him command the dog, down! <laughs> and then he kicked the dog. The dog whelped in pain, and he retreated a safe distance away. But what was so special about that moment was I knew I was good. I still remember looking down from my dad's arms as that dog as it continued to growl and bark. But from that vantage point, he looked small in comparison to my dad. Then suddenly, out of what seemed like nowhere, a new wave of confidence came over me. I began to yell through my tears over and over with the same conviction as my dad, but, but you know, like with a little boy's voice, down dog, down! Everything in like just a quick moment changed when I was in my dad's arms. Now to be clear, I, I was still in the backyard with a ravenous creature intent on, on driving me from his domain, but instead of, of fear and trepidation, I now had confidence because I was near my dad. Now, two things were very important to grasp in my shift from, from fright to confidence. First, I knew my dad was able to control the dog. I watched my dad on the, on the ranch we lived on as a boy, bring horses into submission. He, he wrestled steers to the ground. I saw him throw these just huge bales of hay like they were pillows. Anytime we would encounter a rattlesnake, my dad would just go up and he would just chop their heads off. So from my safe perch in his arms, I know he could control this little mongrel. Second, I knew that he loved and he cared for me. I spent countless summer days on a combine with him. A combine is how you, how you harvest wheat, and we would just ride together, and we would just sing songs. I felt his strong but loving arms around me after I crawled in bed with him after, after a terrible dream. We played hours and hours of board games together, even though he knew I cheated every single time. He'd shoot baskets with me in the driveway and throw the baseball back and forth until it would become too dark to see the ball. Even when I was a, a, a little punk kid, he never rejected me. And even after he disciplined me for being that punk, even though I, I didn't understand at the time, he would always hug me and reminded that he loved me. So in that moment of despair, standing on that box, I knew he would come to me when I cried out to him because I knew he loved and cared for me. So as I glared down at what now looked like a puppy, right, just yipping and snapping, I was confident. My daddy, who was able and loved me, was there. He had me. Now, just a quick thought before we we get going on, before we move on. I get it that not everybody had a dad like mine. And as every little boy eventually learns about his dad, he, he isn't perfect. However, this reality of his ability and love at the halfway point of our hundred days, this is what I want for Cornerstone in a world that seems so out of control to understand about our father. So just to clarify, and this is what we're going to try to get into our heads. We have a daddy who is able and he loves us. Now, as I look at myself and so many other Christians, I know right now we're like I was as a little boy caught in a moment of maybe fight, flight, or, or freeze as, as we stare into this abyss of a frightening and unknown future. We've, we've tried to jump onto various boxes to save us, haven't we? We've we've jumped onto boxes in the hope that scientists and doctors would save us. We believe that maybe political parties or leaders or or movements might rescue us. We've We've battled to build, right, the, the maybe the monetary wherewithal to survive some impending financial collapse that maybe in our heads at least seems to be on the horizon. We fought to get back to this safety that we call normalcy. We've even, in some ways, fled to the safety of extra packages of, of toilet paper, convinced it, that though we might die, at least our backsides will be clean. We've screamed and, and yelled on social media, hoping for salvation from the, the citizens of Facebook land and the Twitterverse. We've, we've even tried to put on the facade of acting tough. But we know, or, or you know what, I was, I was even thinking about this earlier, maybe we're, we're learning that those seem like they may rescue us, but if we're honest, they only trap us. In the end, we still feel small and hopeless, and in a lot of ways, kind of like we really are. This reality is is exactly why the pastors and elders chose to do the 100 days. What we're facing as a nation and as followers of Jesus Christ can seem so large and and frightening to us. The metaphorical boxes we jump on seem to be our only salvation, but God's word reminds us that our stronghold, our, our true place of safety, is right in front of us. Think about all that we've read from God's Word till now in our reading plan, and that's that's actually what I want to do with you right now. I just want to review it, and I want you to listen as I review for God's care, for His ability, for His love for us. I mean, think about it. In Genesis, we learned our God spoke all things into existence and created an amazing world for humanity. He created it for His prized creation to enjoy it and to enjoy his love forever. Even after, right, humanity rejected him in rebellion, however, he, he wouldn't be denied. He began to, to weave together a way to restore humanity to himself. He, he lavished his love and grace on Abraham and on Isaac and Jacob. He, he rescued the people he loved even through famine, through the pain and the hope of Joseph. In Deuteronomy, we find His people, they're just rescued from slavery and oppression after after God obliterated the greatest empire on earth at the time, because He was able. They saw water spew from a rock and found manna on the ground that rained from heaven. Why? Because He was able. He, he had them at the precipice of the land He promised to Abraham, the land where, where He would make them a great nation and He gave them law so they might live with Him and, and with one another in peace and prosperity. Even, and I was reading this, this this time through just to see how much God cared for the least amongst them and the marginalized. Why? Because they were loved and cared for by God. He was ready to make them what He had promised to make them a light to the nations. In 2 Samuel, we encountered King David. He was the man after God's own heart. He was the man God used to to bring a taste of what God's kingdom just might look like one day. No enemy that that came against Israel would stand because God is able, no enemy can stand against God. And even when David rebelled, sending the, the kingdom into eventual chaos, God's plan wouldn't be thwarted to restore humanity. Why? Because he loves humanity. Instead, out of that still came a king in the line of David who would would one day come to rescue God's people. In Daniel and Esther, I loved this one. We we learned that even in the, the, the darkest moments of life, when it all seems to be lost, our God is actually orchestrating his plan. Why? Because he's able. Pain and death may be upon God's people, but even, even if we face a flaming furnace or the, the jaws of lions or the, the end of a, a noose in the gallows, we won't die until God determines it so. In fact, f- from the tragedy and, and, and even the loss that we witnessed as we read through that, those particular books, with each turn of the page we learned that again, God was bringing his plan together, even a far greater plan than maybe we could have even ever have imagined. In the book of, of Habakkuk, I like saying that one because it's a fun name, we find a prophet's heart troubled by how dark the world had, and, and even he was pretty honest how dark he could become. He questioned God about the evil in this world, and, and, he, and he begged him to stop it and what he learned is that God will one day bring an end to evil because he deeply and passionately loves this world and when Malachi comes along it was a it was a time of great struggle for God's people to believe that God loved them and and it's almost just like on cue God knew it he declared from the very outset of the book and I, in some ways, I just want to scream it. I have loved you. Sure, they were they were focused focused on on all of their unfortunate circumstances and refused to see that it was it was because of their sin. But for those who feared His name, those that love Him, and and I love this part of Malachi when he says, "The Son of Righteousness would rise with healing in His wings." God's people who are. Are deeply loved by him, will have a day that he says at the very end of Malachi where we will leap like calves from a stall, just bounding around. And in Luke, gosh, we finally see the promise. He's the hope of Abraham, he's the one greater than Moses. He's the true king that, that was promised from the line of David. He's the solution of God for the evil in the world. He's the, the forever rescue from death and pain, not, not just a temporary one. He's the fulfillment of all that we read to that point. He was born of a virgin, fully God and fully man. He came into the world humbly, yet in that moment, I, mean, you know, I was reading it in Luke, angels sang. He's the one the world has looked for. He is our hope, whether we know it or not. He healed the sick and cast out demons that were oppressing people. He cleansed the leper and caused the paralytic to walk. He, he healed people in his presence and those that were even far off. He even brought a devastated widow's son back to life. He commanded the wind to stop and fed thousands with just a few fish and loaves of bread. He spoke truth to power and, and grace to brokenhearted. He turned the world upside down and yet made it right. Into the bleakness, he spoke hope. He warned us and he warned them that following him would be costly. But if anyone did, he also reminded them over and over again, they wouldn't regret it. And in his final act, he took upon himself the sin of the world, the the rebellion of humanity that had sent the universe into ruin. He defeated sin and Satan and then brought it to the climax by conquering death. And tomorrow in Acts, you'll see that Christ, as he ascends back into heaven, it is a true thing. But in Luke, he reminds us that one day, all will see him return with power and glory to finally set all things right. What was lost in the garden will be one day realized in new creation. Why? because he is able and he loves us. Those two threads, they just weave through everything that we've been reading, that that God is in absolute control, that he is able to deal with whatever we may face, and he loves us and he cares for his people, even at great cost to himself. He is a great dad. And any time his people throw themselves into his arms, all that are around them, no matter the metaphorical monster we may be facing, it shrinks in comparison to him. What this means is that we can continue to climb onto the metaphorical boxes that we think will save us from the hard world in which we live, or oh, we can cry out to our Father to save us. Will it be difficult? Sure, will we face incredible darkness? No doubt, will we have to repent of thinking little boxes will save us? Oh man, all week as I've prepared this, I've been repenting. But when we're in his presence and pathway, when we're near him, what has been the hope of these 100 days is we will see those problems as little puppies yipping and yapping. And if he sent his son to rescue us, to make us able to come to him, as we spend time with him, even with him knowing we are messed up and needy people, we will learn again and again how much he truly loves us. Whatever we are facing, whatever we will face, we know our God can and will control it because he truly does care for us. Now this morning, you can, you can jump off of whatever box you've climbed onto into the arms of God. I want you to know that. We can, 1 Peter 5, 7, right? We can, we can cast all our anxieties onto him because he, he cares for us. We know then following that in verse eight that Satan is real, no doubt about it. He is a, he is a lion that prowls around. He's, he's roaring and he's seeking someone to devour. But I want you to know this. As we jump into his arms, we resist him firm in our faith. We can battle, this is what James 4, 8 talks about. We can draw near to God and and he will draw near to us. This is what we're trying to do with these 100 days is to feel just, just that sense of confidence, not in ourselves, not in our circumstances, not in people that are around us, not even in what's gonna happen as I'm filming this right now. I don't even know who won and is our president, but we can have a confidence that only comes from God. So here's what I want you to do this morning. We're going to try to put into practice what Spencer and Christian taught us over the last couple of weeks. We're going to practice solitude, and we're going to practice fellowship. Now, the first of these things, this is, this is what I want you to do. And if, you, if your leaders are there, uh, just, just kind of listen to it. They're going to have some directions on how to do this. But all I want you to do first thing is maybe take about 10 minutes And I want you to find a place, you know, wherever you are right now, uh, so that you can be in solitude. Maybe you need to walk around a backyard, take a walk in the neighborhood. I don't know, whatever it is, just find a place that you can be in solitude. I want you to ask yourself a few questions. What boxes are you jumping on to escape this world that's headed by Satan? Again, did you place your hope in a vaccine? Did you? think that certain political leaders or a party or a movement might save you so you're you're glued to your favorite news channel just waiting to find out if the world's going to be okay are you trying to escape into entertainment or lust or gluttony or alcohol or video games do you think that the, the box of just enough money will save you maybe maybe you're thinking that somehow i'll just move away from here and i'll jump up on a box in another state that's how i'll deal with it Are you shuffling back and forth on the box of worry? Perhaps, and as my wife and I were talking about it this week, this might be hers. Are you curled up in the fetal position just hoping it goes by, playing the possum, until things return to normal or, or, or whatever that might mean? Maybe you've found a home on the box of anger and frustration seething and screaming at those you love, or maybe even you're just yelling hopelessly into the abyss of social media. In this time of just solitude between you, the Lord, just watch your box. What have you jumped onto that has you trapped? Now in that 10 minutes, I, I want you to do something else. After you determine maybe your your box or, or boxes, tell God, be honest. Definitely, right, we learn from the Lord's prayer, be respectful. But we've got to start learning to be honest in prayer. The Psalms are, are, are full of honesty without disrespect. When we're, we're trapped in, in whatever box we find ourselves, we'll just tell God. Confess it to him. I would even say this. You may have to pray some R-rated prayers in this moment. But think about it. He already knows. God never tells us, right? Really? I didn't know that. Oh, I wish you wouldn't have told me that. Oh man, now you're in trouble. No. And the good and the bad and the, and the joy and the muck, this is where relationships truly grow. Keeping God at arm's length, which he, he never intended through the work of Christ, will never save us. And then what i want you to do is you come to him as you're honest i want you to turn from that box whatever it is that can't save you and i want you even just in your own mind to imagine leaping into the arms of your your father that's what in the bible it calls it that's what repentance is turn away from those things that you've been trapped in and, and turn towards god so that you might find help in your time of need that you might find forgiveness and the power to truly obey, to be the man or the woman that God's created you to be. Now, after you've done that, I'd like you to come back kind of to the whole group. But I don't want you just to stop with solitude. Too often, I feel like what happens is is we never allow this, this moment to go beyond ourselves and God. So the third thing that I want you to do next, and and, and let me just be honest, my wife and I were talking about this, it is the scariest, and I would even say it's the most uncomfortable, but it's so important. In groups of two or three, like it it talks about in James five, we're told to confess our sins to one another that we might be healed. We're to confess those hopeless boxes to one another. Then whoever you are with, we need to then, John, and it talks about this in John 13, to, to love one another this morning by choosing to now bear one another's burdens. We need to listen carefully, being sure to accept one another and and to be kind and compassionate to one another. No matter the box, again, that whoever's talking to you may have found themselves on. After you've listened to the person confess the box they've they've maybe wrongly ran to, well, then build them up. Ephesians 4, speak these amazing realities of God in love to one another. Remind them using the truths of scripture that God is able to deal with whatever they just shared with you and he longs to do so because he loves them as their father. He demonstrated it through the work of Jesus. Make sure and even in that moment to to comfort one another as fellow these fellow box dwellers Encourage one another because what they just did, if we're honest with each other, it's hard. However, don't stop there. The Bible also calls us to, to do something else, to, to then look at them and to stir one another up to love and, and good works. Remind them that, that this can be done. Remind them the truth of who they have inside of them. Remind them of who they are in Jesus Christ. Don't build them up in themselves, but build them up in the greatness and the goodness of God. And then when you're all done, the Bible also talks about just pray for one another. Have someone pray for this person that's just confessed their sin in light of all we just talked about of these amazing truths we've learned from Scripture. Now here's the last thing. Don't stop there. This week, I think it, it talks about like this in Romans 12, be devoted to one another, care for one another, and do so by continuing to pray for each person that shared what's going on and and reach out to one another, send text messages and make phone calls, meet for lunch, dive into one another's lives and help one another. Use this as a moment to truly learn the specialness and the uniqueness of the church and why we need one another. Now, I understand that some of you, you may not be doing it as part of our groups. Don't let this pass you by. Take the time this week to to still do this, not only alone, I I don't want it just between you and God, but find somebody to practice this with, be engaged with them, enjoy being with with them, enjoy the one another's just being a huge part of your life. Now, let let me finish this way. In all of these boxes that we have this tendency to think we can stand on, just understand this any box that we try to erect that we think is going to keep us safe will only in the end leave us trapped. But when Jesus Christ came, He came truly providing a grace and a truth and a freedom, a promise to never trap us or to hold us back, but to truly be that gentle Savior that when we take our yoke upon Him, it is gentle and it is light. Your God is able. Your God adores you. And so in the name of the Father who loves you, in the name of the Son who loves you, in the name of the Holy Spirit who pours out God's love in your hearts, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, God bless you this week as you pursue Christ with us for these 100 days.